Hi, welcome to the podcast. I'm Craig Pugsley. And I'm Tom Hazelink. And we're your co-hosts through this, the Product Podcast. So Tom, look, what is the Product Podcast all about? So the Product Podcast, or Podcast, um, I love that name by the way, um, it's really going to be about those overlaps, interactions um, between product management and product design because they're they're so close to each other, they're so intertwined, yet in other ways so different. And there's you know numerous podcasts out there about product management in isolation or product design. You know, I think really exploring the, the, those potential synergies. I think that that's going to be super interesting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's loads and loads of really good product design podcasts out there that drill into a specific skill or a specific discipline, you know, and you can become, you know, super educated or, or um, efficient in a particular area. But, you know, design and product management are team sports, right? Like by their very nature, yeah. to be really great, to be really exceptional in your in your fields, you have to be great at collaborating. You have to foster that ability to work with, with other disciplines um, because of the, the nature and the way it works. So I think, yeah, it's for me, that was why I thought this was such a great idea for the two of us to come together and, and to, to talk about the creation of great products from these two you know, really fascinating um, perspectives. So, OK, here's a question. Then why us? Right. Why you and me? Why should anyone um, invest their time in listening to what we're talking about? So I think, look. You and I have been lucky enough to spend many years in the industry in our uh, you know, respective roles, and we've both been in leadership positions as well for several years. Um, so I think it's fair to say that we may not have seen it all, but we've certainly been around the block a few times. Um, so yeah, look, Tom, can you give us a, a quick kind of career summary, please? Yeah, so I've got about 12 years product management experience, um, worked for more companies than I probably should have done in that time, moved around a lot. Um, last four roles have been product leadership positions where I've overseen both product management and product design. So I feel like I've got a really interesting insight into how you can get those two, you know, at times very different groups of people to work together, how to get the best out of those people and how you can get genuine alignment between those groups. So I'm, I'm super excited to try and explore some of that. So Craig, t- tell us about you and, and your background then. Yeah, so I've been a product designer for, I don't know, 15, 20 years. It feels like a long time now. Um, I got into product design uh, after pivoting career, I think they call it. Um, I started as an engineer and realized that I actually enjoyed watching people using the things that I was building more than building them. I'm not the world's best engineer. Um, so uh, I was doing UX and, and user research before that was even a thing, before there was the term you know, UX design. Um, and then, yeah, fast forward decades uh, worked through Nokia and Microsoft um, you know grew the craft um, I learned about user research and the art that is user research um, and then went, eventually worked at a product research team uh, working at Just Eat and that was a lot of fun doing different um, uh, designs for different platforms and we were shipping products and process into Just Eat at that time as well so we were getting to try all these new things like lean startup methodology and all that kind of stuff really exciting um, and then yeah fast forward a few more years and most most recently, last couple of roles have been um, design leadership roles, so leading small um, but tightly, you know, uh, packed, really, really efficient product design teams um, to, to deliver, you know, really good, high quality work with just the right level of process behind all of that as well. 
So, all right, tell us a little bit about the kind of topics that we're hoping to cover in this first series of the podcast. Well, I think the one I'm most excited about diving into is um, how do you get product designers and product managers to collaborate effectively, work effectively, and actually deliver more than the sum of the parts. And that, that is possible. I, I've seen it happen in, in lots of different circumstances. So I think that's, that's going to be really interesting to explore. I think how you hire great um, product designers, product managers, that would be another um, really interesting one. And I think how you sell some of the things that are important to those two very sort of close related functions into the rest of the business. So I think there's some there's some similarities, there's also some differences. So I think some of those are some of the things that are going to be most exciting for me to explore. Um, so today it's going to be, how do you get that best collaboration from the product managers and product designers? How do you get to work together most effectively? Mm, yeah, okay. And that's like, <laughs> it's super important again, isn't it? And it goes back to this point about both of our industries or both of our disciplines rather being a team sport. That collaboration has to be efficient. Otherwise, neither of us get our job done. So it's like, it's, it's almost like the, the bedrock, isn't it? The foundation of, of uh, great uh, product management and great design um, coming together. Okay, that's cool. So let, let's get into it. Um, first thing to talk about, right? Where does good product management and good product design collaboration start in, from your perspective, Tom? Yeah, I think there's, there's two main things that are, are front of mind for me there. Um, firstly is mindset. Um, and what I've, well, I say always, recently, coached product managers and product designers to do it, is really treat it like any other relationship. Really lean into understanding each other. So how you prefer to work, the kind of things that, that, that wind you up, um, how you prefer to receive feedback. Um, if you can lean into that, th there's a really good chance you'll make a sort of fast start in, in terms of being productive, in terms of working well together. Um, the other key thing from my point of view is is alignment on the calibre of the UI and UX you're trying to deliver. And there's an enormous spectrum for that, right, depending on the organisation you're in and where you are in that kind of organisation's life cycle and actually what you're working on and where that's in its life cycle because... You could be in a very mature business, <clears throat> and in that context, you know, it might be super important you've got a very high caliber UX, but you could be in the same business working on an incubated brand new product where actually scrappier is absolutely fine because you just need to ship things quickly to see if that, that proposition is going to resonate. Um, or, or maybe you're in a scale-up and that's just the way you work. So alignment on that is crucial. So I think if you can start with those two things, you've got a really good chance of that relationship starting well. Mm, yeah, that really resonates, actually. I mean, I've, I've worked in teams where I've been at the wrong end of the spectrum on both of those bits of alignment. So <clears throat> we've had an organization, you know, I've worked in organizations where they just need you to deliver quickly, like just get something. We're going to take the risk of it not being particularly well tested. Um, you know, we're going to, but we can ship quickly and we can get iterations out the door that we can then, you know, mo monitor the analytics on. So, you know, we've kind of got this, we just need to get it out the door. And I've worked with perfectionist designers who will not let that thing will not hit save on that figma file until they've um you know got it absolutely perfect and of course that's not much use to anyone uh, and then i've worked at, at the other end of the spectrum where um you know and i I'm, i maybe have been guilty of this in the past as well where i've just been moving a bit too quickly um and maybe made a too few too many assumptions in an organization that actually 
has got themselves a bit of time as you say you know they're 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 not fighting for every second um of of uh, you know um of, of eyeballs in the market and you actually have a bit more time to be able to do something um a bit more structured and a bit more well researched and um a bit and actually give you you know giving yourself that time to do a few more iterations um, you know, a design is never finished. It can almost always benefit from a few more iterations. And like you say, I think the art is knowing where you should stop. Yeah, and I think to pick up on something you said there, that I think is super pertinent. It, it's risk appetite, right? And the mm. <laughs> the reality versus what people say, because it, it's almost fashionable these days. Say, you know, we should be taking risks. We're taking good risks, smart risks. But when it comes down to it, people's appetite for something to fail completely because you built it and released it quickly without any user testing oftentimes is a lot lower than than people sort of think it is or um say it's going to be so really getting to the bottom of that can save an awful lot of pain down the line because it you know user testing doesn't have to take that long right if you really have to you could run around the user testing analyze it in a week it's absolutely doable if you've got some engaged users so you know is it so urgent you can't spare a week to do some user testing i think that's the sort of where you need to frame it to yourselves and other stakeholders in the business. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And of course that introduces this other sort of slight challenge you've got with the politics of the situation as well. So it might be the product team understand the the risks that are be that, that we're taking here and, and have a good awareness of what, what the impact of those might be and are confident that they could turn around any issues or, or any challenges or any failed experiments quite quickly. But other parts of the organisation, maybe even people like the engineering or support teams who are sat very close to those product teams may have a very different appetite to that risk um, as well. Yeah. And so it's that managing of stakeholders that you're, you're having to do that's wider than the actual product sort of problem that you're trying to solve. No, that's spot on. And I think that's where, you know, company values are really important, product principles. You know, if you can lock those down, not only have alignment within product, but with engineering, um, with customer success, support, to your point. So everyone knows you're moving quickly where everyone knows, you know, delivering a high caliber UX is is part of how you work. If you've got that alignment, it's great. If you haven't, <laughs> it's going to be bumpy, frankly. So, yeah, I should have said at the beginning of this podcast, actually. So you, I've had the pleasure of working with you. Um, I, I was employed into your team. You were my line manager um, at a recent organization. So I think a lot of what we're talking about here in terms of collaboration, I think what we had is some of the best examples of that designer um, product manager um, relationship, I think. So can we can we think of any examples of that? Can we pull out any examples of, um, you know, uh, the, the, the collaboration that you think between us that was particularly good? the things that kind of resonate with what you were just saying yeah definitely so I think one of the things I I thought led to some really successful outcomes was how we do very collaborative ideation and maybe I'll drill into that in a second but then um, I sort of got out of your way and empowered you um, to you know conceive the more um, polished designs let's say and then we sort of collaborated again so I think those sort of distinct phases of the, the life cycle, if you like. So what I mean, if you go back to the, the first point, that sort of whiteboarding, that was where, you know, the sort of no boundaries, left field ideas are okay, let, let's sort of start sketching like crazy on a, on a whiteboard. And, you know, so being initially divergent, but then towards the end of the session, and we're only probably spending 45 minutes to an hour doing that, yeah. trying to converge on some kind of directions 
that we both both felt had a a good chance of solving the problems. And, and by the way, that was that was a thing I really felt I had to be bringing as the the product management person was real clarity on the problems that exist and the problems we should actually be trying to solve. Mm. Um, but then that that middle phase really say, okay, great, you know, we've got here's directions now. You know, you go away and turn that into um, some designs, frankly. And what I think that brought is real coherence by just you focusing on it, and hopefully, you know, you felt empowered. And then reconvening when you've had a chance to do that, and you know, starting to go through those, providing any feedback that's appropriate, and so on. So I think, um, you know, almost a deliberate sort of trough in the collaboration, but kind of peaks at either end. Mm, yeah, totally. I, oh, 100% agree with that. Um, and isn't it funny, though, that, that that session probably only lasted 20 minutes, didn't it? It was like 20, 25 minutes. It was, I remember it being quite a short session <clears throat> of actual <clears throat> drawing up the whiteboard after you'd told us about the, the scope and, and the, the problem and described the problems that we were trying to solve there. Um, but it's so uh, frequent that those kind of basics get missed. That you don't, yeah. You know, the, the 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 initial um, dis- discussion between the product manager and the product designer in front of a whiteboard just doesn't happen a lot of times. Uh, it certainly doesn't happen with any kind of quality like that. It's super simple stuff that doesn't take very much time, um, but sets the project up for success from the very beginning, um, and and you know just gets you gets you going. And and then you know what we were doing there was your classic design council double diamond, right? We were, as you say, we were doing that divergent thinking at the beginning. Um, and then I, as I took that design away, I remember, I remember actually filtering out because I think we had like six or seven different ideas on that board for how we might solve those problems. And I remember filtering out sort of three or four of those myself already. So I was already starting to to, to converge um, back to uh, a selection of ideas that we could then uh, effectively test, um, which is what we did next. So, yeah, yeah, I, I think that's a that's a really great example. Definitely one that resonates with me as well. Okay, so I think this is an interesting one, and it's a point that you mentioned earlier, I think, about getting out of the way of the designers. You know, I've worked with product managers who have got quite different schools of thought on this, and and actually good justification both ways as well. So I think it'd be interesting to get your thoughts on this one. So I've worked with some product managers who, you know, like you've articulated, say, this is the problem, go away and solve it come back when you've got some ideas, come to me if you've got any questions about the requirements or whatever, um, and they sort of effectively leave you to it. And then you've got other product managers that um, don't necessarily want to interfere during the process, but certainly want to see a lot of the workings as you're going through. And I want, want to understand how you've got to that point and you know what, what evidence you've got in a much more detailed way, what evidence you've got behind it as well. So what do you think is the most sort of effective way of driving collaboration? Is there one approach that's better than the other? Yeah, this, this is a super interesting one. So what I think this, this comes back to is, um, I mean, I'll, I'll answer your question directly in a moment, but where are product managers and product designers going to have most impact? Because, yes, it... I've no doubt that, um, you know, that there's a lot of value in the ideation phase, I think, of having a PM and ideally an engineer and potentially someone from the business involved at that stage. I would wholly buy into that. And there's probably some value in the PM, you know, there being lots of collaboration kind of throughout the design process. But is that really the best use of the product manager's time, I would argue? Because that is always your biggest challenge as a product manager. You know, your most finite resource is your own time 
and how you spend that is going to determine whether you're effective or not. It again sounds obvious, but remarkable how many product managers spend time on things that that don't have impact. So the, my ask when I'm leading blended teams of product people, so product designers and product managers, is that the product managers focus on the strategic things. So deeply understanding the customer, their needs, the problems they're facing, um, the world in which they operate, um, understanding the market, the, the broader market, where that's headed, the, the competition, um, how you're going to position a message, whatever it is, whatever problems you're trying to solve, and whatever solutions you come up with. That to me is where the product manager can have most impact and frankly where there's a good chance, particularly in a startup, scale-up and even a larger business where maybe no one else is thinking about those things. The product designer is going to be deeply thinking about that product design. So whilst yes, you might add 5 or 10% or make that design 5 or 10% better, I think you're going to have a lot bigger impact with your time elsewhere. So that's why I believe actually pretty strongly you know, yes, you know, get involved in the ideation phase, but then get out of the way of the product designer, then give them feedback on some options. That's utopia for me is they come back with two or three options and, you know, you together figure out which is most likely to be the best solution when you, you know, look at viability, feasibility, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's an element here of, of um, what's the best way of describing it? almost like clock cycles, you know, how fast do people run at? And I think product managers, just by nature of the job and actually some of the personalities that, that tend to find themselves in this role, product managers run at a higher clock cycle. There's a lot more inputs, a mm. lot more outputs. They're juggling many, many, many more um, balls at the same time, you could argue. That's sort of the role of the product manager, right? It is to do exactly that. But by the very nature, designers run at a slower clock cycle because we tend to be focused on you know fewer problems at the same time and actually when we're in design work it's usually just the one problem at a specific time and go super deep on that so it's not necessarily that um, product designers need more time it's just that product designers sometimes need more uninterrupted time because those clock cycles maybe are working a little bit slower um, uh, to be able to get deeply into stuff, to, to push a thought as far as it can go without necessarily being distracted or interrupted and to its natural conclusion to decide whether that's the right, a right path to go down. So yeah, I, I agree with that, definitely. Um, understanding the way that different those different disciplines um, want to get feedback and when, I think is a really important, yeah, it's a really important one to touch on. And it comes back to a, a point I made earlier, right, that um, what's the outcome you need? Do you need a brilliant UX or do you just need a good solution to the problem? You know, it's more often than not, it's the latter, frankly. So is your input as a product manager, so that product designer's work, is that going to impact whether it's going to be a good solution or not? If you've got a strong product designer, you know, probably not, frankly. Or there's a good portion of time when it won't they'll come up with more than one good solution themselves. What's going to more materially impact the outcomes is those other things I was talking about, right? So it, it just comes back down to sheer pragmatism. Now, that might be different. If you're in a B2C environment with tens of millions of users, highly competitive space, then, yeah, maybe, and you're shooting the kind of pixel-perfect, world-class UX, then, yes, maybe you need to be involved throughout the day. So there's always going to be exceptions to that. But I think more often than not, 
getting out the designer's way is going to lead you to optimal outcomes if those outcomes are you know driving revenue solving as many problems with your finite amount of resource as possible delivering as much customer value as you can yeah 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 really interesting really interesting okay so um the other thing that I think is really important with product design and product management collaboration is it's for the designer to be to use their skills of empathy and those those high EQs that we hire for to really understand the product manager's perspective, you know, and, and what's what's pressure in them. We we as designers obviously spend so much of our time trying to get into the shoes and the mindset and the context and the worlds of our users, and that's great, and obviously that's what we should be doing. But I think we can we can turn some of those um, lenses uh, and some of those skills into our own in, uh, into our own teams to help make our, our own relationships more productive. So I think being able to understand what is driving a product manager, um, I think, is really really important. Um, so I think well, one of the really important things, one of the first things, is to understand those commercial pressures. Yeah. Uh, Again, it's a little bit of a stereotype, and I, and I don't want to push too much on this because I don't think it's true. Certainly not so much nowadays, and obviously not as you increase, you, know, you rise up through the seniority levels. But I think a lot of designers don't really get the commercial pressures. I think there's this idea that um, you know we're just doing good work, we're just designing great stuff. We don't really have to worry too much about you know how we're getting paid or how the business is 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 growing or any of those kind of business or commercial pressures that's that's up to someone else to solve but it's not you know, obviously it's not it's it's all of our jobs we're working for an organization that, that has to make money so um, it's for all of us to understand those and I think understanding the product managers commercial pressures and and the and the um, um, uh, the drivers that are bought, you know encouraging them to make certain decisions I think is really important you know how does that how would you say that that's the uh, you know well articulated when it comes to sort of product designers and product managers? How would a good product designer, a product manager, do you think, articulate that to a product designer? Yeah, I mean, I mean firstly, I, I agree with the point. I, I've certainly seen um, examples where you know product designers could be a little more commercially minded, but I, w- I would say you know to the point you're building up to, it, it's incumbent on the the product manager to keep hammering away at that until people get it. Um, because you know, ultimately, the, the role of product managers have impact, right? It typically deliver customer value while simultaneously delivering business value, which normally means revenue growth. But it could be you know strategic penetration into a particular segment, or you know it could be reducing churn. There's you know some classic drivers there that you'll see time and time again in in different businesses. Um, but you know, there's a it's a very basic example at times, right, of, of knowing your audience and finding a way of articulating it that's going to resonate with them. So making it, you know, maybe one kind of provocative way of doing it, I guess, is to point out the implications if we don't get, if we aren't able to move the the, the, the needle on revenue or whatever metric it is you're trying to, what's that going to mean for our team? Well, maybe it means we get moved on something different and we don't get to solve these problems anymore or maybe the business isn't going to be able to get the next funding round and that's you know going to have some some obvious sort of, sort of next um, you know unpleasant implications for everyone um, so i think it knowing your audience their kind of how much they've been exposed to all things commercial in the past can help um, trying to be you know use concrete real examples um, 
use you know user anecdotes as well I think or um, really explain um, the characteristics of that segment you're trying to get into mm. if indeed that's the the goal of why that matters of you know trying to quote the leader that's you know asked this particular thing that there's all sorts of ways um, a product manager can do that but I think fundamentally it's about EQ knowing your audience um, and delivering things with a a bit of passion and gravitas, or as much of that as you can muster. Yeah, it, it totally is. And if I think back at some of the best product managers I've worked with, they have been able to articulate the vision and bring their audience along with them. Different types of people as well, different skill sets, different seniority levels, really, really effectively. Um, yeah, I, I totally agree. that it, it is incumbent on the on the product manager to bring everyone along on that as well. But I think it's also in, it's also important for the product designer to be open minded. I think it's very easy, and certainly I would have done this earlier in my career as well before I realised how important it was for the designer to sort of switch off as soon as some people talk about numbers or about revenue or about you know stuff that the financial you know machinery that doesn't really make a lot of sense to a lot of people. Um, and, and you know, fine. That's right. That's not what they're employed to understand, and that's that's fully understandable. But it is still there are still elements of the commercial nature of what you're doing that are incumbent on every product designer to understand. You know? Yeah, and I, I also think that the, the product manager's got to be savvy about how they keep repeating those messages. First, you know, people rarely absorb things or truly absorb or digest in the first time they hear them. But there's lots of ways you can do that, right? You don't just have to do it verbally. What I've often done is weave that into broader Slack messages. So maybe you're celebrating some success about something the squad or the, the tribe has achieved. But then, you, but, you know, let's not forget, we've still got a way to go to hit this commercial goal. We've still got to solve these problems so that we, you know, d- deliver against that, that, that business objective. Um, so there's more subtle ways you can do it. You can do it in stand-ups. As well, just reminding people, come on, you know, we've got three more weeks. We've got to get this solution built by then, or conceived by the, whatever it might be. So, um, you know, they're not particularly onerous things for product managers to do, but you, you need to sort of stay on it and not just expect people to fully get um, that narrative after just articulating it once. Mm. Yeah. Yep. Totally. And I actually remember a couple of examples from from our um, past. Um, that just resonated with me here as well. So I think one of the things that you did really well was that you would create a notion page at the beginning of a project that clearly documented all of this, including the success criteria. So these are the success metrics. These are the specific metrics that we want to move. Um, And then I would take that particular one liner, whatever that metric might be, and put that in the Figma file. So that would almost be like the heading. It would be the thing, you know, that that I was working towards. It's a bit of a North Star for this for this piece of work. And that was great because because, you know, what we do, certainly in the in the um, the convergent stages of design, is to have some kind of criteria for filtering out all of the other options and other other concepts. So being able to have, you know, your design principles in there, um, feedback from other stakeholders, and then that success metric, the thing that we're trying to move with this piece of work front and center actually in the figma file in its own little frame um you know that's consistent on every piece of work that we do keeps us true to that um and and actually you know then from a designer's perspective when you're trying to justify your solution you can keep you can keep referring back to that and it's very difficult to argue against it yeah i I love that idea and i think it um you know one conversation i remember having it in a few different contexts was that 
I use a term, I don't know if I particularly like this term, but I'm going to mention it, this idea of gold plating. And I think it it helps with having that, what can be quite a difficult conversation. So in other words, descoping a, a design. But you can link it back to that, that headline. It's okay, well, is that really going to drive that metric? Well, maybe not a whole lot. Well, if we did this other thing with that same amount of time or same amount of engineering resource, would that move the needle more against it? Well, yeah, probably, okay, well, that's why we're descoping this design then, right? So it, I think that's one conduit to, to your point for driving a commercial mindset within people who perhaps it doesn't necessarily come naturally to. Yeah, yeah. And of course, you know, the, a lot of designers' um, mindset is going to be to ship something as close to perfect as possible, right? Or to, 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 to design something as close as possible as perfect. So I think, you know, this all comes back to this point about um, alignment, you know, and making sure that, that the designer is fully aware and the product manager as well, I suppose, can fully articulate what that good enough looks like yeah. um, to be able to, to, to move to the next stage, really, for, for a piece of work. Yeah, and just one final point on that. Um, I think it's good enough thing. It's fascinating, right? Because so much of what we worked on, actually, was it was the first time we built anything to solve that problem, right? And one thing I remember saying, I was like, I thought I'm saying this too many times at the time, was sort of what was going through my head, was that, you know, this is a hell of a lot better than nothing mm. than we, that we've got at the moment. It, this is going to solve the problem. It, it may not solve it perfectly, but it, it's a solution. They have zero right now. And it that on the one level is blindingly obvious, but it, it's easy to lose sight of that in the moment when you're, you know, feeling maybe a little concerned, worried, whatever, about chopping off some aspects of that design. Okay, another question for you then. This is a really interesting one, I think, to touch on for a while. So obviously we're both leaders in our own um, domains, our own spaces. Um, and I think obviously we're leading in, in um, uh, focusing on different areas as well. So I do line management and creative direction. And I think that's that's quite an interesting tension sometimes between, you know, um, a sort of creative discipline and a more analytical kind of practical discipline. But when we're doing projects, when product designers and product managers are doing projects together, who leads that project? And, you know, I've, I've worked in organisations and I certainly feel like the design team should, there should be a natural level of sort of subservience, really, to the way that designers approach the relationship to the rest of the business. You know, and I, and I don't mean that in a distanced way, in a kind of agency inside the organisation. I don't think that, that being at, you know, at arm's length is necessarily um, particularly effective. But certainly in terms of who leans into those discussions to carry them forward and makes a project keep or keeps a project's momentum up at different stages of that. I think, you know, there's a really interesting question there about about whether the product manager or the product designer should be leading. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, this is a, another super interesting one, and we've talked about this quite a lot, you know, in other in other conversations. And you know, I'm I'm a little twitchy about the subservience point. I, I get I know what you're getting at. Um, I think there's parts of it I agree with, but I think I'd be a little wary of um, framing it that way. But I think one one thing where we we'd certainly align is that ultimately the call on whether that solution solves the problem that has to lie with the product manager. Um, and more often than not, what I've found is there's actually an agreement on that. So it, it's 
you know, not that common where there's an outright, you know, heated debate that, that has to happen there. Um, to sort of come to your other points there about who's kind of leading and, and driving things, I think, you know, it's incumbent, the, the product manager is accountable for that, you know, moving at a, at a good pace. And ultimately, you know, to come back to a point I've made before, um, using that engineering development time, whatever you call it, as wise as they possibly can to get the maximum customer, customer value, business value, whatever goals you're sort of driving towards. So that they're accountable for that. Whereas, you know, I would argue if you're using a racing matrix style approach, um, you know, a designer is responsible and they should play their part, but it's actually, it's on the, the, the product manager. So, you know, I think it would be fair to say the product manager is going to be leading more, but I, I would be very wary of kind of removing all expectations on the, the product designer to be leading. And I think the reason I say that is I think the the person in the leadership seat, if you look at a classic life cycle of a, a feature or a solution, does need to evolve. So at the beginning, when it's understanding the customer, the problem, the market, you know, I would argue the product manager should be leading that, but the product designer has to be involved. They need to be in all those pure product discovery calls. Um, but then when it comes to solutioning, um, like we've talked about, product manager in a perfect world will be involved in that ideation, the broad divergent thinking at the beginning. But then, you know, then I would argue the product designer should be in the leadership role. They should be conceiving the different options, focusing down. But then when it comes to kind of refining them at the end, giving feedback, signing off a solution, I think it's, you know, product manager should be back in the, in the sort of leadership role there. So overall, I'd argue it's the product manager, but that does need to flex and evolve throughout the life cycle. Mm. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I I agree. I totally agree. Uh, and I want to come back to this subservient point because I, I I mentioned it purely because I know it pushes your button. Um, <laughs> um, okay, let, let's get practical for a minute then, um, and talk about like specific um, ways of fostering great collaboration. Um, and specifically, I'm thinking about uh, you know. Uh, sometimes designers can be slightly highly strung or maybe a little bit sensitive you know I'm not going to say all of them and you know certainly the more senior you get in your uh, in your role the more um, the, the sort of assumption is that you can you know keep a handle on uh, on some of the emotional side but by our very nature we are more empathetic more emotional kind of people um, and that's the, that's just fine so you know what would be your sort of top tips for ways to make sure that you're not winding up a designer yeah I think that's it's super important to be aware of that as the product manager. Um, so a few things come to mind there. I think, firstly, complete clarity on the problems you're trying to solve. And you're know, assuming in the first instance, you understand the problems that exist um, and which you know, you've got a right to try and solve, a feasible to solve, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but you need that clarity as a first thing. Um, secondly, leaving Figma, Adobe XD or whatever design tool you're using to, to the designer I um, I think it's it's unusual I've seen one or two instances where a product manager that has been a product designer can be helpful in that setting but you know treading on toes doesn't begin to describe I think the feeling you can leave a product designer with if you start meddling around with with, with their design files so I'd encourage product managers to stay out of Figma frankly mm. um, Another one um, that um, I certainly fell into this trap uh, earlier in my career was 
being very prescriptive about what should change in a solution or a design that you know a, a product designers come up with so you know if you just move this here move that there use a different font or change this color from blue to orange um all of that stuff is is likely to gray and, and the reason it's likely to gray is that there's going to be all sorts of lenses perspectives that the product designer has has sort of considered to get to that design right um you know what what's elsewhere in the app um, maybe their design principles, the design system, design best practices. A ton of stuff's going to go into that that your average product manager probably isn't going to fully appreciate. So that kind of feedback, I would argue, is at best unhelpful and probably quite likely to sort of aggravate or irritate. But what, what is a much better way of giving feedback, in my view, is to, to link it back to the, the problems you're trying to solve, the use cases you're trying to serve, some of the requirements, you know, sort of constraints you might put on the solution. And I think you'll find if you do that as a product manager, that most product designers receive that well. If, well, you know, this part of design works really well, but, you know, this part, we, you remember that third requirement I gave you, or that second use case, we're not quite hitting that right because of X. And I think that's a, a sort of important side point there, is always explaining why you don't feel like um, something's quite working. It sounds blindingly obvious, but... I've seen so many Figma files with just sort of blunt bits that this doesn't work. Well, why not? Um, you know, you've, you've got to communicate that. Um, and I guess the, the other point I'd make is diving in and starting to provide feedback before someone's even finished their designs. Because, mm -hmm. um, you know, I don't profess to be, uh, you know, a, a world expert in product design, but I, I certainly know well enough that it's an iterative process, right? And there's, one diagram I think that people, some people use to design, um, describe product design, where it's that sort of wiggly line that gets sort of less wiggly mm -hmm. time. And it, if you're interfering here, you know, you're, you're interrupting the, the design process. And even if you've only given someone half a day or a day to conceive some options, interfering at that point is going to be deeply unhelpful and frustrating to the product designer. So wait till they're done. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. That wiggly line that gets straight, it's exactly how almost every designer I've ever worked with, including myself, works. Because what you want to get to is a point where you can fully articulate the rationale for your proposed solution or even set of concepts, you know. Because that, that, is, that is what we're hired for. We're hired to come up with that rationale. Like, I mean, we're, we're, come up, we're, we're hired to produce something that has been considered and considered within the constraints that you've set out. So we want to get to a point where we can say, this is the end result. This is what we're proposing it's going to look like or how it's going to work or what copy we're going to use or whatever. Um, and this is why. And that's, that's, that's what we can't do. We can't fully articulate that why if people jump in halfway through. Yeah. And what we don't like, and certainly I don't like personally, is being left kind of having to think up reasons on the fly because yeah. that never works. You know, I, I, it, it's clear then that there's, the, the, there's holes in your justification for what you want to do. And it might be a really sound design that you've got. And it might be that always, that it's not <laughs> a, little, a little behind the scenes here for some, that I think some designers do, certainly I've done in the past. It might be that you can get from A to D, you can get to that final design quite quickly, but not necessarily have the best articulation of how you got there 
until you start to think of it sometimes. And for me, it's just because I've got a subconscious process that's going a lot faster than my mouth is. So I can't tell you why I've got there unless I've given, I'm given enough time or a little bit more time just to, to think fully through the rationale. Um, you could say I'm just inventing a rationale for a solution that I want to put forward. And that's not the case. I never do that. No. <laughs> but I think the crucial point there, we're talking about giving designers a bit more time. It's all relative, right? We're not talking about days or weeks. Mm. It can be hours. Mm. Right? I think this is the um, the misconception I've seen with some leadership people at times, just, just not appreciating. Um, it's a matter of a couple more hours. Or, you know, a good designer can do a lot in a day if they really need to. Um, so, yeah, I think sometimes there needs to be a little bit of a, a reframing or recalibrating on that. 